Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 32 of Ask the CEO with Abraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest, someone who helps global brands increase their revenue and market share by leveraging technology to develop stronger emotional connection between businesses and their customers. He's a top influencer on the Internet of Things and fourth most followed chief marketing officer on Twitter. He is the chief marketing officer for Singapore-based intelligent IoT messaging company, Unified Inbox. He's also a popular author and frequent speaker on leveraging technology for marketing. It's my pleasure to welcome the one and only Ken Heron. Welcome, Ken. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And my mom would love that introduction. I'm sure she's got it pinned up somewhere on her fridge. There we go. We'll show her this interview and she can listen to that. She'll be all set to go. Awesome. How's your day going, Ken? Good, good. Another busy day. It's kind of funny when your team is globally dispersed, there's really no start of the day and end of the day. It's kind of like walking into a dinner party and everyone's in mid-conversation when you're waking up and you're thinking, why are you people awake at this hour? And then you realize it's evening, it's afternoon where they are, and it continues. So really, if you're awake, you're working. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the things I find most fascinating is uh, the global business model. It's one of my biggest passions as well, and something that I'm striving for is to have that global business. It's fun. I like the energy that comes from working with people who think so differently than you do. It's one thing if you're a technical person to deal with marketing folks, but it's very different because most of the people we work with, on average, tend to be from the same place, at least from the same country. So when you deal with people who have had to learn your language so you can communicate and have a very different set of academic, professional, and life experiences, the conversations can get a little messy at times. The food is better, I should mention that. But you also come up with very different solutions. When I've been in rooms of people who have all been from one place, it's not to say that they are more creative, but because there is so much greater diversity in all possible senses, you often come up with very different solutions than I think you do when you have a group of people who are all the same or have had the same experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to use that word diversity. Uh, I actually have the pleasure of working with a person in the Philippines. I have, mm-hmm. I have a bit of diversity in my team. I have someone in the Philippines and someone in India. And like you said, I just love the multicultural uh, conversations that we have and everybody brings their, their own perspective. And it's, it's really, you know, when you open yourself up to possibilities and alternatives, it's really such a beautiful thing to be able to speak to people in different parts of the world. It's another luxury that the technology gives us. I think back, it was not that long ago, growing up when an international phone call was something really unbelievable because it was expensive. Now, we don't even think of it that I call someone in Timbuktu as easily as I call someone down the street. Absolutely. Um, You know, in fact, case in point, what we're doing right now, a video conference. Now, where are you calling in from, by the way? I'm in Orlando, Florida. So I'm about 30 minutes from the theme parks. Beautiful. So you're in Orlando. I'm in New York. And we could have just as easily had someone from Australia and a lot the same price, you know, nothing. Yes. And their connection might've been better than our connection. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's a beautiful thing, you know, which is a perfect segue to what we wanted to talk about. So tell us a little bit about your business and how you work with businesses to leverage that technology to help them. It's a fascinating business because it would not have existed just a couple of years ago. If you look at my job description, I help people to chat with devices, with machines, as easily as they chat with other people. That's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I find that fascinating. I mean, with the Internet of Things, you could be talking to your refrigerator. Yes, yes. And your refrigerator could be telling you not to eat so many donuts. (laughs) You know, there's a business opportunity right there for dietitians. There is. I have seen smart cups, smart plates, smart utensils, and it's not only are they communicating, messaging with you, they're also beginning to message with each other. (laughs) So yes, if you're on a diet, for example, you're a diabetic, uh, the ability to now know what you're consuming 
and of course, caloric outtake from exercise, uh, a level of sophistication that just would not have been conceivable. And now it's through our smartphones and the wearables that we, we use. Yeah, and I find that so fascinating. You know, it's something that really hits home with me as well because I'm into fitness and health. And every now and then I find myself wondering, you know, how much is this, how many calories does this burger have or, or this piece of chicken? And if I want a second or a third, you know, how much am I really eating? It can be frightening. Sometimes it's better not to know. But yes, we now have a lot better insight into what we consume. Nice. So I know you deal with IoT and how do you work with, uh, with your customers with that? We have a couple of different types of customers. We do different IoT solutions for smart home, for smart city, and for smart enterprise. So it can be everything from a large commercial institution to a government to a manufacturer who's doing kitchen appliances. So what we do is we license our technology and the technology allows the user to, in a very literal sense, to be able to message their appliance. Today, if I have the example of the refrigerator, today, if I have a smart refrigerator, typically I need to go through an app. There are some disadvantages to that, especially if I have 20, 30, 50 apps on my phone already, I probably don't want an, another one just to talk to my appliances, but we allow people to message the appliance directly. There's really no need for an app. And for manufacturers who still want to use their app for different reasons, we're very compatible with that in that we can deep link to things within the app. So in many respects, it's fair to say that modern appliances have gotten very complex. So people like my mom, it can be very difficult to turn on the oven because it has 300 different programs and it's essentially it's a tablet computer, the interface, but she knows how to text. So she can simply text the oven to turn on at her desired temperature. It will text her back when it's preheated and it will text her when the timer goes off so she never misses it. You know what I love about what you're saying? So for all you stay-at-home moms that are watching this interview, think about it. You're at work right now. Well, not stay-at-home, but single moms, right? So for all you single moms out there uh, that are working or working moms and your teenagers at home minding the house, you could be 100 miles away, take your cell phone and text the oven, okay, let's turn on at three o'clock and you tell your teenager, dinner will be ready at five, just like that. It's an amazing level of sophistication is that you can get an alert to know when the teenager comes in, you can know where they are, you can know what they're doing. It can be as big brotherish as you choose. We're working with a number of manufacturers, including Bosch, and they have amazing smart cameras with great facial recognition so they can tell you who is with the teenager. What are they doing? Uh, you know, at any point in time, you can also go back. So if I've just gotten out of a meeting and I wanna know if the teenager came home, I can say, okay, when did John come home today? Who was with him? You know, how long did the other person stay before they left? It's amazing the level of sophistication that is available, whether it be in a home sense or in a commercial sense. And, you know, this is so pertinent for today, which makes it so exciting, because I just read an article very recently about one of the challenges with IoT. And for those of us that don't know what IoT is, it's the Internet of Things. That's where all your little gadgets are connected to the Internet, be it your refrigerator, your stove, your wristwatch, your cameras, and so on. Um, one of the challenges is the disparity of interfaces. And like you mentioned, yes. right? You have 20 different- Interoperability. Interoperability. Yes. So you have 20 different things, 30 different components, your lights, your window shades, uh, you know, you name it. And every one of those has a different interface. So if you have one or two devices, yeah, it's no big deal going to your apps. When you have 30 of them, how are you going to keep track of them? So what you're offering them is, you know, like the name implies, a unified, uh, a unified platform. A single interface. So let's say you are a texting person. Maybe I'm a WhatsApp person. Okay, that doesn't matter. It's whatever communications platform you choose to use to communicate with your different devices at home, at work, and on the go. That's fascinating. Now, the techie inside me is just wondering, uh, how on earth do you um, create this universal interface when everybody's got their own platform? 
the two answers to that. The interface is your communications platform. It's your email or your text messaging, your WhatsApp, your Facebook Messenger. That's the interface, and you already know how to use that. The secret sauce, what's behind it, is a single integrated API. So we develop connectors for each of these devices. So if it's a dishwasher, refrigerator, an industrial water pump, we are able to communicate to that and then communicate out using whatever communications platform you choose. For example, it could be social media, it could be a messaging app, or it could be some type of chat app. We're really agnostic. We don't care what you use. And what we found is that the communications channel people prefer varies by age. Yep. For example, my mom may prefer Facebook, my kids may prefer Snapchat, so there's a natural age progression. It also varies quite a bit by country. So what is the norm in China? WeChat, for example, there may be countries that haven't even heard of that before, and we also find, depending on the country, some communication channels are actually illegal. They're banned. They're not allowed to be used, where in others they're extremely popular. So it's a question of, as we started the call with diversity, how do we let people use what they want to use, realizing if we were to try to estimate out in two years what would be the most popular chat app, I don't know if we could do it because it may not even exist today. It could pop up in another three months. So it has to be fluid and able to deal with whatever is the popular channels at any point in time. So now... I imagine you work with uh, the manufacturers to help them get on board your platform. Yes, yes, we work very directly with them. And what's neat for them is that if I'm an air conditioner manufacturer, uh, I'm in Germany, I manufacture 30 different sub-brands of air conditioners, well, think how they're differentiated. They may have air conditioners with a, a little less expensive components, a little more expensive components. They may have different finishes, different colors, different features, they're not yet able to differentiate based on personality. With our product, it's called Unification Engine. That's the intelligent IoT messaging platform Unification Engine. With that, I can now have an air conditioner with a different personality. So for example, if I'm selling it to a college student, it may communicate in a very casual tone of voice. If I'm selling it to my parents, it may be a little more proper, a little more conservative, a little more reserved. So you can see where instead of buying the red air conditioner or the green air conditioner, now I can choose an air conditioner that has a personality that I find pleasant and I want to use. Fascinating. Mind is blown. <laughs> you thought buying an air conditioner was tough today. <laughs> Tomorrow, we'll actually be thinking about personalities and there will probably be an intelligent assistant, some type of chatbot that will help you to decide what is the right air conditioner for you. And I know that personality style is going to be part of that as well. Wow. So Siri is going to be helping you shop for an air conditioner. Yes. And all of her descendants. Absolutely. <laughs> Fascinating. So so tell me a little bit about some, some of the types of clients you've worked with and, and helped them outfit with your technology. Sure. Let me give you a real example. We work with one of Bosch's divisions called BSH, and they make a phenomenal coffee machine. Now, I would never say the coffee machine is difficult to use. That would get me fired very quickly. But think of it this way. I can now message the coffee machine and say, make me a coffee. It will come back and say, what kind of coffee do you want? How strong do you want it? How hot do you want it? All of this done through messaging. So if I don't know the six different types of coffee this particular model can make, it will tell me. And if I do know exactly what I want, I can simply tell it, hey, this is what I want. Now, your question may be, can where would I use this? Well, if I'm sound asleep, and I need to get up and I'm sitting there in bed and not wanting to get up, I can now message the coffee machine at home in the kitchen to make it. We also see it being used in office settings where I can go, you know, it's a busy day, it's a crazy day. I can message the machine to make the coffee and it will message me back when it's ready. So I'm not standing there having to wait. Or if there's a line of people, if three people have ordered coffees before me, 
I don't have to stand there and wait. I, it will tell me when the coffee is okay. I'm making the coffee now. Okay, the coffee is finished. Come on and pick it up. Think of Starbucks, where they can go with this. Yes, yes. There may, well, to be honest, you can do this today at Starbucks, but it's through the Starbucks app. What if you didn't have to worry about the Starbucks app or the other coffee shops app? You just messaged. Again, we all have the messaging programs we prefer to use and are comfortable using. Wouldn't it be great if we could order a pizza, a coffee, a new car with just a simple text? Yeah, absolutely. This is really fascinating stuff. So tell me a little bit about, we mentioned you're a top influencer on IoT, some of the interactions you've had or, or maybe uh, some of the situations you've come across uh, where you've been able to influence this uh, technology. A lot of it is based on sharing. It's no longer a sales process. I think of it more as a sharing process that you share with others the use cases. You share with others what you see as the best examples of the art. The security camera I mentioned, by the way, when you're in Dubai, they're known for very large, very opulent shopping malls. If you've ever tried to park a rental car in these, you'll sympathize. One of the biggest problems, Dubai, by the way, is arguably one of the safest cities in the world, but safe doesn't mean people don't lose their rental cars in really, really large shopping mall parking lots. That's a problem. That's a lot of stress. If you're a mom with two kids and you can't find your car and you're trying to get somewhere, major stress. Because the security camera we mentioned scans your license plate as you go in, now you can message the camera because it's a smart camera. You can message the camera, where did I park? Help. And it will say, okay, here's where you parked. Here's a little map. Here's the closest route. And because we're a for-profit business and the mall is a for-profit business, here's a coupon for a frozen yogurt. <laughs> Sorry for the stress. So there, you know, there's advertising built into it as well, but you can see the opportunity that you have solved a genuine problem. This does happen in Dubai at these super large, super premium shopping centers. Because of that, there is a staff of people who are on site to help. If you don't need to have that staff of people, that saves the mall operators money, but that also lets people do something a little more enjoyable than running around helping tourists find their lost cars. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. And I say tourists because I was one who had a very generic white rental car that with jet lag, I couldn't even remember what I was driving. And in an 8,000 space parking lot, forget it. Uh, the car would still be there today. <laughs> that, is, that is truly fascinating. So Ken, tell me, how did you get started in all this? It's funny, I started with Bell Labs back a few thousand years ago, you know, right out of school, started working for AT&T, you know, probably the most corporate of work environments ever. And from the very first day, my job was to help people to understand how to use technology to achieve their objectives. My very first job was shooting TV commercials for a product that was called broadband. And this was going to revolutionize the world, that people were going to be able to do voice, data, and image on the same phone line. And I say that with a huge smile because I don't even have a traditional phone line anymore. And get you know, we're now talking about 5G replacing a lot of the, the wired internet connections. So it's funny, but even way back then, it was about getting people excited about technology and understanding what it could do for them, whether it was residential or commercial. So you could say, after all these years, I really haven't progressed very far because I'm doing the exact same job I did day one. I just have slightly different tools to do it with. Yeah, well, actually, isn't that the best thing where you do what you love? You know, the landscape changes, but you still remain constant. I think of it, being a marketing guy, I think of it remembers a little kid, there was that box of crayons we used, you know, it was the big, thick crayons. And then at some point, it was usually your favorite aunt or uncle would give you that 64 box for your birthday. And you thought, this is it. It doesn't get any better. You had all of these colors you didn't know what to do with. Now as a marketer, every morning we wake up and there's a new tub of crayons. 
there's so many new tools, there's so many new resources and capabilities to help us to engage with our target audiences. And I think where the stress comes for a lot of my peers is that it used to be you would learn how to do marketing. We actually went to school for it back in the day and it was more or less stable. Now it is changing so rapidly. I look, uh, as I was prepping for our discussion today, the tools I've used today overwhelmingly, the software, the hardware, the mobile apps, and the processes, almost all of them did not exist two years ago. And this is my daily work of what I do. So that tells me two years from now, what, assuming I'm still doing marketing, the tools I will be using will be completely different as well. That can be very energizing for people or that can be very stressful for people. Yeah. I find it energizing. Exactly. Exactly. I was going to say that, that it's something new. It's like doing, it's like doing a new thing every day. There's also real advantage that if you can understand how to use 360 video, if you can understand how to live tweet, if you can take advantage of these new opportunities, you have a real chance to engage people in a way that your competitors aren't yet doing. Yeah, exactly. So, Ken, what was your decision when you decided this, this, this is my thing? I think it found me. I don't think it was a conscious. I would like to pretend it was planned and you sat there with a spreadsheet and you thought it through with the pros and cons. It found me. Uh, I had a number of different jobs, you know, PR, marketing, sales, some product management positions, but really it found me that it's that ability to help people to leverage technology to achieve whatever it is they're trying to do. And because of those different functions, the ability maybe to see some connections that other people don't see. Mm. And um, what, were, what were some of your biggest challenges as you were building your career? What were some of the ups and downs you experienced along the way? I think as a younger person, the, the usual challenge was that I would see connections that other people didn't or the result of the connections made people uncomfortable. I'm going to give you a very real example. I met with a car manufacturer who shall remain nameless. They had just invested significant money in redoing their app. So when I come bouncing along saying, hey, you know, let me share this with you, I could see the look on their face. Uh, at first, they were irritated. It's like, well, don't tell me my business. I know what I'm doing. And the more we spoke, there was the realization, this is disruptive in the worst possible sense that this is a company that has a strategy, has a set out path. The technology has now changed. There's new information. So whether or not they choose to deal with it today, what they're doing is now dated. So it now has a half-life. And every month, every year, they don't transition over, that they still worry about having separate apps for every model of their cars. They are now spending money that could be spent on making better cars. Because we know that when all of these products have their own apps, there's an incredible amount of resource, an incredible amount of executive focus that goes into something that is not what they do best. It's fair to say you bought your last dishwasher because it was a great dishwasher based on your needs at a good price. You didn't buy it because it had the best app ever. Correct. That traditionally, this is not what these companies do best. I'm not going to say they don't do it well, but when you have artificial intelligence and you combine that with unified messaging, the ability to directly communicate with your product and have it communicate with you that's really hard to replicate with an app, no matter how well designed it is. For a very simple reason, we were recently working with a vacuum cleaner company, you know, the little robot vacuums that scoot around the, the floor. When a call comes in, these vacuums, I'm not going to say they're loud, that's negative. Um, let's say it is hard for many people to carry on a phone conversation with the vacuum running in close proximity. So people, want to stop the vacuum, pause it, mute the vacuum. Well, mute is not a function in the app because they didn't think of that. But when you can 
directly communicate to the vacuum cleaner. Now, often we saw a lot of very colorful language that people use to shut the machine up. But if you understand, if you have that customer insight, well, that they can pause the vacuum. That's already built in. That's not new engineering. That's not new functionality you have to create. It's just having that wow moment, that insight. So when somebody now says, shut up, you know, there's a call, the vacuum will be quiet. And when you hang up the phone, you can say, okay, you know, get back to work and it will understand what that means. That's what the artificial intelligence does for us. None of us are gonna memorize a list of commands, that these are the 10 words I can use to control my vacuum cleaner. We want to talk to it as naturally as we chat with our friends, you know, chat with a relative. Well, now I can do that. Whether it's on my phone, my tablet, you know, my laptop or whatever else I, I use as my messaging device. So, so there was some resistance initially. There's always resistance to change. I think that's fair because you have people, infrastructure, budgets. I don't know an organization that does not have their wins taken out from them from time to time because the world is changing faster than a large corporate infrastructure or a government. You know, let's, let's not pick on the companies. Let's say you happen to run a government of a fair-sized country, you do things in a certain way. You have a legislative process, assuming you're a democracy. It can be slow for you to understand and then make the changes. And that's one of my uh, soapbox areas, if you will. We know that artificial intelligence is coming. We would like to have smart guidelines, smart regulation, while no industry wants to be regulated. We know that this is new, this is different enough that there should be appropriate regulations. It's not realistic to have no regulations, but in the example of autonomous vehicles or self-driving cars, we don't want to make it difficult for innovation to happen. Because if we do that in any given country, other countries will not have the same regulation and will succeed and end up with better products, safer products, faster. So that's an interesting discussion to be had. How do you help governments, whether they're local, regional, or national, to be educated when the technologies are changing so quickly? And we as the practitioners, the people in the industry dealing with this every day, are still catching our breath some days just to keep up with it and to find out, okay, this is what's today, what's next, so that I can try to be there when it's ready. Gotcha. Now, do you run into situations where people have concerns about security? We do, and they should. That's uh, one of our points of differentiation as to why someone would choose our intelligent IoT messaging over another solution. When I connect, when I first authenticate and I connect to my dishwasher, when I do that, that locks out everyone else. So this is a very different level of security. We talk about hacking, we talk about people getting your password or getting in. Well, when you connect, that's it. You are now bonded to that device so other people can't break in. Think of it this way, with your cell phone, let's say you're going to operate it via, pick a network, Viber, which we know is a chat work a lot of people use for their IoT devices. You need to get into your phone whether it's the thumbprint, the pin code, so you need to get into that. You need to be logged into Viber. You need to be authenticated there. And you also need to be authenticated to the device you're going to control. That's at least three levels of security to keep people from hacking your dishwasher or trying to go in and pretend they're you to operate in. Now, if you lose your cell phone, I'd worry more about the bank accounts and those passwords than the dishwasher access. But we find that security is one of the reasons people choose Unification Engine over anything else. Mm, because that, that Unification Engine can also provide that single interface for security. Yes, yes. And when you connect with Unification Engine, you physically block out anything else from connecting without your explicit permission. So let's say you have a a college student who's home for the weekend and you would love if they would do dishes, maybe they won't, but you'd like to encourage it of all possible, you can simply give them access. So you control, it's almost as if you've now become the administrator for your smart home. You decide 
who has permissions and what permissions to operate certain devices. Gotcha. And, you know, just, just a quick note for our listeners about security. You know, security is, is uh, very important and very relevant for IoT because if you think about it, you're opening up an interface to different components in your home right now. Mm-hmm. And someone may be thinking, what do I need this for? You know, let's just unplug everything and just not get anything connected to the internet. You know, you're working backwards because the change is happening whether you like it or not. And, you know, something that you just mentioned earlier, Ken, and that is about your competition. Um, So, you know, whether it's government bureaucracy and other nations competing or it's other companies competing, if you're behind the times, you're doing, everybody does what they do best. So your competitor will now have that edge where they can focus on what they do best because this technology has taken all that overhead off their hands. So like it or not, the IoT is here to stay and it's time to get on board. So what we need to do is address cybersecurity, but not hide from it. Very well said. I could not have written that better myself as the marketing guy. Think of it this way. If my mother sees value in it, there's value in it. From an energy savings perspective, I happen to live in a state where we have a lot of warm weather. Our summers are very, very warm, but we really don't want to pay a dollar more for air conditioning than we have to. Well, if I can can remotely control my air conditioning so that the place is only cooled off when I'm going to be here, that's a real luxury. And that adds up to not just saving the environment, but adds up to a lot of money over the course of your typical Florida summer. Yeah, you know, it's so nice and noble to talk about green energy, but I think most people are concerned about with their wallet. The electric bill every month, yes. Because when push comes to shove, it's really the economy that drives everything. Something as simple that if my refrigerator door isn't closed and if you have children running around the house, this may be the norm. Well, if I get a simple alert on my phone saying the door is open, it will keep the refrigerator door from staying open for three hours. That's a big deal. I would have loved to have that about three weeks ago. (laughs) One of my favorite examples, when people tell me I'm not comfortable with this, I don't want this smart nonsense, just keep it the way it was. I turn it on, I turn it off, that's good enough for me. Let me tell you a very personal story. Growing up, I was my grandmother's unification engine. She had the washing machine in the basement. I would run down the stairs when she wanted to know if the machine was done yet. (laughs) Up the stairs, down the stairs. Every time I visited, I was the app. I was the text. I was the communication to figure out if the machine was ready yet or not. It was good exercise. Now, my mother's generation, she had a machine with a buzzer on it. It was very modern, you know, Sears Appliance Center. It was state of the art. It had a buzzer that would wake children three states over. This loud smoke alarm type of, it was horrid. But it worked. She knew when the wash was done. Well, now I simply get a message. So I can also have the machine tell me 10 minutes left, five minutes left. That sounds like a simple thing, but it's a real convenience. If you're in a rush, you're traveling, you're trying to get stuff done, those minutes do add up and it doesn't disturb anyone. It doesn't wake the dead, you don't have zombies running all over the place, and you're not having to run up and down stairs. You live in an apartment building, the washers are in the basement, you wanna know if there's an open washer or an open dryer, you can now message to find out if there's one, and you can actually say, okay, I'm coming down, and that washing machine will lock for 10 minutes to give you a chance to walk down, put in your laundry, and you don't lose it to anyone else. That's a real convenience. So when I see the use cases at a very personal level, I'm thinking these really do add for convenience. They add for security. And if they allow products to be cheaper and better built because the appliance manufacturers aren't worrying about the apps, which is not their core business, we all win. Yeah, and I think that one of one of the biggest values that a person like you has to the marketplace is on educating people on the use cases because really that's where people connect because until you gave us that example i wouldn't have understood i mean i'm a techie so yeah i i get it but you know somebody somebody in my situation may not have grasped 
why that's so important and why that's valuable. So that is awesome that, that you're out there sharing this message. It's exciting stuff. Many of us love that our devices are getting more complex. I have a family member with Alzheimer's. Very difficult, you know, you feel like, hey, here's how to use the oven, here's how to use the oven. You're explaining that again and again. Well, even with that deterioration, they can still send a text message. They can still say, turn the oven on to 350 degrees. And if the oven is left on, or if the oven is ignored, it can send a message not just to that person, but to the caregivers. Mm. We sometimes think of IoT as being one-on-one. -on -one. We sometimes forget that it can be the machine to the group. Let me give an example. In Singapore, we're working with the local hospital and they have oximeters to read the oxygen levels in the blood. As that changes, as there are updates or changes in status, that doesn't go to an individual, that actually goes to a WhatsApp group. So all of the nurses, when they go in on their shift, they sign on to the WhatsApp group. So whoever is closest, whoever can respond fastest, the group gets the message, not an individual. So there's a lot of interesting uses for this in different types of settings so that the care is improved, the cost is reduced, and you know, people suffer less and have better health outcomes. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking five years, ten years from now, you're gonna have uh pets operating the oven. You know, I have a picture of a uh <laughs> you know, a picture of a bone and you push that and the oven turns on. Well, we already have pets wearing smart collars that are operating food bowls, that are operating doggy doors, that are operating water bowls. And that's actually pretty simple technology. So I, I don't think Spot is going to start texting or messaging, but with just simple devices, also you can message the caller and now know where the dog is at any point in time or what the dog is doing or shouldn't be doing. I like some of the geofencing that if you say, okay, you shouldn't be on the couch. Well, now that you get a text message every time the dog is on the couch or the bed or somewhere they shouldn't be, that can be very useful as well. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. So the technology is actually there. Yes, yes. Uh, KFC Link is one of the products I'm familiar with. They've just made a new smart collar that is very impressive. So every time the dog goes to the couch, it's sort of like that invisible fence to keep the dogs within a perimeter. Yes, yes. Really nice. So Ken, what keeps you motivated every day? It's really the energy and the excitement that you never know when you wake up in the morning what new fun technology you'll have at your disposal because it is changing that quickly. I joke with people at the end of the day, you get kind of smug, kind of cocky, okay, I've got all this stuff figured out. Well, the very next morning, there's an announcement, there's a release, there's some new tool that can make a substantial difference if you understand how to apply it to what you're already doing. It doesn't mean you do a fresh reset. It's not reinventing yourself every 24 hours, but it's going back to being that little kid who loves crayons and every morning there's more crayons. Now, that doesn't mean you're gonna like all the colors or use all the colors in your coloring book, but it does make it exciting that there's all these new colors and the ability, if you can figure out how to use that new color in a way that no one else can, that gives you a significant competitive advantage in whatever you're doing. Yeah. There you go. That's, that's really the key really to success is to love what you do and have that, um, that curiosity, that fascination and try to be the best you that you can be. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Ken, um, you know, there's a statistic that um, a certain percentage of new businesses fail within the first year. Where, where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong? It's probably unfair to say, but speaking from my own experience, it's probably focus, that there are so many things you could do that often we try to do too much. Yeah. Personal bias, it's better to do one thing really, really well than three things or 30 things not so well. And it all comes down to that focus. Being able to prioritize, knowing how to say no, uh, there are a lot of people who love Apple, hate Apple, uh, but look at their product line. 
they don't make tens of thousands of different products. They have a very pared down number of items that they do. Overall, they tend to do pretty well with that pared down list of items. You know, they sell quite a few iPhones, even though there don't tend to be, you know, 30, 40, 50 different models of iPhones. Yeah, they basically sell four things, a computer, a laptop, a phone, and a watch. Mm-hmm. Pretty much it. And they do it well. Yes. Beautiful. Ken, where do you, where do you look into take this business, let's say, in the next five years? We really see Unification Engine as becoming the default standard. Uh, there's two terms, M to H and H to M. Those stand for machine to human communications and human to machine communications, we see it being the default. So anytime you need to communicate with a device, you know, an internet enabled powered device, we believe you'll be using Unification Engine because it makes so much more sense to us than anyone have, even the, the geekiest of geeks are not going to have 50 apps on their phone just to control all the machines in their life. And I can take it to a commercial level. We deal with some factories, actual production centers in Germany. They can have a hundred different manufacturers' machines. Now these are multi-million dollar machines, state-of-the-art smart machines. Every machine has its own app. No matter how great that app happens to be, it takes a very special person to be able to use 80 different apps and to keep them updated and to know the intricacies, intricacies of how to use all of them. So we just don't see that as happening. And now, you know, just that you mentioned manufacturing, could you take us through a, a use case, how IoT would help manufacturing? A couple of different ones. The biggest one I see is predictive maintenance. I have a machine. It can run for a certain amount of time before it needs to have a component replaced. We all know with production that if you have to stop the line to replace a part, that's big money. That's a significant revenue loss. Well, if my machine can now message me based on usage, not based on hours or runtime, but based on actual usage, hey, Ken, this is the drill press. I am going to need to be changed. You know that part ABC? That's got 30 hours left. I'm, I'm just telling you up front, in 30 hours, this thing is going to go. <laughs> do what you will with that information that now allows me to plan because I know every three days I shut down for an hour. Great. I can shut down at that period of time. I can change the part and there's been no problem. Or if there's a sudden issue that gives me advance notice, let's say something, the worst case scenario, uh, there's an unexpected issue. The moment something is off, I know it's so I can shut down the line so I don't destroy other machines or I don't do more damage than, than is absolutely necessary when bad things happen. And, you know, just, just to your point about the predictive maintenance, I think it goes even further beyond that where many people have a schedule where let's take the drill press. They, they replace it every six weeks, for example. Mm-hmm to or not so that it doesn't break down the supply chain. But can you imagine- it's a lot how, of waste. Yeah, how many, number one, how many drill presses get wasted and how many hours of manufacturing get wasted? This way, you know exactly when you need to shut it down. Let me give you a very real example. Uh, going back to the smart camera again, we now have the ability to know how much bacteria is in food. Often, depending on the type of food, it is the amount of bacteria that determines when the food will expire, when it will be past freshness date. To err on the side of caution, we tend to do freshness dates that are much earlier than they could be. If we can know accurately per individual food item, what is the real shelf life, what is the real freshness of that particular product, you can get two, three weeks more out of that item with still a safety cushion. Imagine the food that won't be wasted. Imagine the money that will be saved because people aren't throwing away food that is still good to eat, but they didn't know it, so they err on the side of safety. The sensors, the cameras, the devices are now smart enough to be able to understand that in a level of detail that enables us to put accurate expiration dates on food so we're able to get that much more life out of the food. And that 
really benefits everybody up and down the supply chain. Yeah, totally. Because that, that cost is going to be, or that cost saving is going to be passed on to the consumer. So we, the people get, get to benefit from that ultimately. Yes. And nobody wants to throw out, we were all raised, you don't waste food. So the, but again, you err on the side of caution. So to actually know that and it's fact-based, data-based, rather than an old wives tale as to how long things are good for, that is definitely a smarter way to, to operate. Yeah, I wish I knew when my milk will actually spoil. <laughs> there are refrigerators that can now tell you. That is, that is, I got to look that up. <laughs> yeah, we've seen some very exciting things. Now, to be fair, you want to ask yourself, how much is that worth to me? And is that worth the current price premium? For some people, it absolutely is. Uh, I never knew kitchen appliances could do so much before starting in this role, I have a much greater appreciation and I'm probably going to be that much more of a nuisance the next time I go to buy an appliance because I know what they can do and what they should now be able to do. Yeah, so you'll ask all, all the questions that they're afraid to They'll ask. throw me out of the store. I'm convinced of that. <laughs> really good, really nice. Um, Ken, who would be an ideal client for your company? An ideal client, any global manufacturer, anyone who's making appliances and electronics, uh, but it also goes down to governments. We have a product called Shout that enables for emergency messaging communications. So let's say I live in a country that has tsunamis or a country like Florida that has hurricanes. I now have the ability to message everyone, residents and tourists alike, on all channels simultaneously. So the lives that can be saved because you're a Facebook person, I'm a Twitter person, well now I can blanket it out to everyone. It can be the ticker on the TV channels. It can hit all social media accounts. For example, I live in Orange County. Orange County has hundreds and hundreds of different social media accounts on all of the different networks. Imagine the ability to be able to message on all of them instantly at three in the morning as a first time user. That's very powerful. So before a disaster, during a disaster is happening and after a designer, after a disaster for cleanup. We're actually very proud. We just won the 2017 SAP HANA, which is the software we use to create it, innovation award for the product. And it's called Shout. Really nice. Because wow. in an in a, whether it's a man-made, you know, oil spill or a natural disaster, you want to be able to shout and have everyone hear you. And how do you, how do you, is that just spelled shout? Shout, S-H-O-U-T dot M-S is the website. Beautiful. I'm going to put that in the show notes so people can look that up. It's a very cool product because I don't know of any country that has not had the occasional disaster. Uh, whether it is unfortunately terrorism or whether it's weather related or, you know, chemical spill, oil spill, just bad traffic congestion, the ability to directly communicate to the exact people in the area that are affected, that's powerful stuff. We also, a little closer to home, we can also be it, see it being used for theme parks and amusement parks whether it is from the, quote, worst case scenario, a thunderstorm's coming, be aware, get out of the pool, or it can be even used for positive scenarios. That you're on vacation, and we know that there's a reason the theme parks, the amusement parks here in Orlando have all become Wi-Fi enabled. It's to give that communications capability. Mm. So it, it connects through Wi-Fi or 5G in the future. Yes. Beautiful. Um, Ken, if you could rewind a clock, let's say 12 months, would there be anything differently that you'd do? Beyond fashion choices? <laughs> let's see, 12 months, 12 months. I think it's always a question of you think back and you regret the things you didn't do rather than the things you did do. So that idea of being bold and not second guessing yourself that when the idea is right to really push it with all of your might and not let other people tell you no. 
because oftentimes they're saying no because of the potential impact on them rather than it actually not being a, a good idea. Yeah, that's so true. It's, it's their own, you know, have you, have you ever read the book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Mm-hmm. It's what he would call, you know, their own paradigm on life. Yes. Just because other people aren't quite as quick as you are doesn't mean you should slow down to match their pace. Which sounds very, very egocentric, I realize, but... You need to be you, and you need to do you. To be your best you, absolutely. So true. Um, Ken, what do you like doing for fun? For fun, I actually do a radio show. I do a weekly radio show called The Social Solutions Show, and in it I share marketing best practices, which you should say, okay, Ken, why do you do that? in addition to everything else, and it forces me to keep my pencil sharp. That if I have to answer other people's questions, that forces me to keep up on all the communications channels and tools and best practices so that we can discuss them. That's beautiful, and I love that because just like what we're doing here, this this keeps me up to date in the latest trends and technology and, and the relevant players in the industry. So kudos to you for that. I always learn more from our guests than I think our listeners learn from me. So it's, it's a very selfish thing, but people enjoy the show. And that's every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And, and how, do, how do you get on that show or how do you tune into that show? They can follow me on Twitter. I actually live tweet all of our shows as well as the links to listen. And that's at sign Ken Heron, H-E-R-R-O-N. And that's a perfect segue to my next question, which was going to be, how do people connect with you? Twitter's the best. And from there, you can find everywhere else I am on the web, or you can just go to Google and Google Ken Heron Marketing, and my big fat head will be everywhere. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm going to put that in the show notes so that people can pull it up and find you. Fantastic. Ken, are there any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to offer the audience? I don't know if I'm very big on wisdom. I know a lot of people tell me I'm too busy for this stuff. You know, my life is full. I've got all of this going in. I'm too busy to keep up with it. I would challenge them, whether it's five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, check in on these things because these new technologies can actually save you time and help you to be more effective. They may also give you ideas and inspire you in ways you can't even think of. Very deep and profound words. Ken, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and expertise. It was a real pleasure having you on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.